You're listening to the She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine, and I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, a leadership facilitator, and I work with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Hi, everyone. In this episode of She's Got Drive, we have Dana Christina Joy Morgan with us. I am so happy that she's with us. Let me just tell you something about her and uh, and then we'll get to say hi to her. Dana Christina Joy Morgan is a pianist bringing a new sound to the arts as she bridges the long revered classical tradition and other genres into a diverse and creative sound. She's a graduate of the Howard University Master of Music program. She received a bachelor's degree in music performance from Capital University Conservatory of Music in Columbus, Ohio. She has won numerous accolades and awards of achievement. In 2014, Dana placed as a finalist in the Washington International Piano Artist Competition, competing against pianists representing the USA, France, Germany, Japan and Taiwan. Dana received the Audience Award, the Press Jury Award, the Best Performance of a Beethoven Work and Best Performance of a Classical Work. She was also featured on the televised 2011 Trumpet Awards, where she was able to share the stage with legendary performers such as Aretha Franklin and Earth, Wind & Fire. Most notably, Dana was recently featured as a special guest artist in Dordogne, France, for the 110th birthday celebration of Josephine Baker. This performance was held at the Chateau de Melon, which is the former home of Josephine Baker. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So what I want to say is I'm so excited about having this conversation with you because when I met you and you said what you did, I realized that I had never met a black woman who does what you do. Wow. And my daughter has been playing the piano Mm -hmm. since she was five. Wow. But to then see you and I've watched you on YouTube. Oh well. my God! You are a rare phenomenon. Oh, thank you so and much. So I want to just, you know, deep appreciation for you being here, and so I'm excited to find out how you got to be where you are and doing what you're doing because it's so rare. Well, I am a concert pianist, and I started at the age of three. There is a course called Suzuki that is specifically for three-year-olds, and it's usually for piano, the string instruments. And my mother always noticed I had long fingers and I started at three. I am still taking lessons 30 years later. So I always tell people that, you know, a lifetime is not enough for music. Um, The composer Rachmaninoff said that, you know, it's not enough. But I started at three and I took lessons and then I went to summer camps. I went to Interlochen. I went to Northwestern uh, music camp at the university and It's just been a lifetime of learning, but that's kind of where my technical beginning started. And I have a lesson on Monday with my music teacher. So (laughs) I'm totally, I'm totally going to tell my daughter that, you know, like, cause she, when she's like, Oh, I've got to go to another lesson. I'm like, yeah, Dana's still doing it 30 years later. And my teacher knows when I haven't practiced either. So, but that was my, my early beginning. Um, my mother was a gospel singer and she traveled with some of the gospel greats like Shirley Caesar and Albertina Walker. And she had me late. She had me 20 years 
after my eldest sister. And she had me on Mother's Day. And she said, she's going to be a star. So she named me this long name. (laughs) And she bought me. She had a choice between a piano and a car. And she chose a piano at the age of three of me. So I have to pay off this piano. So Yeah, yeah. Wow. What a wonderful start. What a wonderful start. You've been doing it for so long. At what point do you realize that you're being successful at it? This is such a great question because my interpretation of success has changed as I've gotten older. You know, when I was younger, I'm like, I'm going to be the best pianist in the world. I'm going to have lots of money. And and it's it's changed and evolved as I have. Success for me is if I can touch somebody. I worked at Children's National Pediatric Hospital um, where we use the arts to help make the hospital experience easier. And what I've learned that music and the arts are truly a vessel to help people. It is a universal language that everyone can understand. And for me, if I can help somebody through my music, that's success to me. If I can play for some kindergarten (laughs) children and they like it, that's success because Mm. they are the most honest people in the world. And they will let you know what touched them. And for me, that's success to me. You know, it's when do you touch people? Does my music get to a place that heals people? Because at the end of the day, that's kind of those experiences are what I remember most. Being able to use my music as medicine has been what I consider as success. Because it's not about me. You know, it's about what can we do? What's the rent that we owe to give back for our space here on Earth? So that's success. Now, I'm not turning down millions of dollars now. I'm not going to say I'm turning that down. But really, at the, the point of it for me is, can I make a difference through music? Wow. It reminds me of, um, you know, I'm a leadership coach and consultant. And one of the, there was a time when we did a program and we were using Benjamin Zander, the mm-hmm. the um, conductor. And yeah. he's teaching them to look in the audience and to see when you know you've made the quote unquote perfect note is when you see the impact that it has out in the audience. It isn't whether it's really perfect, right? It's really like, what difference are you making? What impact are you having? And, and so that, that's what it reminded me of as you were speaking about that. When, when did you realize that what was more important in terms of defining success then? Because before you were saying, it was about like, I'm going to be the best in the world. And now it's yeah. about how, what difference am I making and, and music as medicine, which I love that. Um, well, after I graduated from college, I performed with a young lady on Broadway at Children's National. The program coordinator asked me about if I would be able to kind of be like a booking agent for talent for the program. And I never saw myself in a hospital. I'm like, I don't do hospitals. I am a pianist and <laughs> I do stages. However, being in the position humbled me because when you see people and they're giving their last rights to their young children and you see how music steps in and helps them with that transition, it becomes real. And it's an experience like none other. Or when I come and I perform and I don't do music therapy because that's a very specific license course. Um, I do comfort and I program people to come and help provide music that's comforting. But being in the room with someone who's this is going to be their last Christmas and playing something as simple as Deck the Halls means so much. And I know it's a carol that we sing all the time, but being able to be in a situation where you see what that impact has 
on a family who is having their last Christmas changes you and it humbles you and it makes me privileged to be able to know them and to know that I can make a difference. And so I think that's when the transition started to happen and being able to reach you know, people who can't react or who won't be able to give you an applause and a bravo and to know that you're still stimulating them, even though they can't physically give you a thank you and all of that. And so that is truly what started the humbling process. And my mother, because she keeps me very, <laughs> my parents, they keep me together. Right. I've, I'm so moved by that. It, um, you know, my dad passed away about seven years ago. And um, and be, and he passed away at home, and he was surrounded by family, and um, and we sang to him. I mean, that's one wow. of the things that we did is we surrounded him. And so when you say that, I could just really see how um, powerful that is, and how transformational it is for you, as as well it is for the for the person who is who's in their last moments, and families who are in their so acknowledging these last moments of life as we near the end um yeah so and that is, it, it has another power to when you speak about music as medicine again it's like yes. another deeper level of that when you speak to that yeah thank you for and that. It's, it's no thank you for you know sharing because you know that's what music does. It takes you to that time and that place. And I'm sure that was a moment that you will forever remember. And so, you know, I've been in situations like that and to see that has really left an indelible mark. And it's kept me encouraged to always, sometimes when I don't feel like it, when I feel like it, to remember that I am just a vessel. People will remember this, you know, and, um, that's what I always go to. And when I always, before I play, I keep that in mind. You know, I focus on how can I heal this person or where do they need to hear this? And a lot of times it's not even the big concerto pieces. It's not the bait. Sometimes it's twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> and I have to say, even for me, of all the music I play, my pop, most popular piece ever has been the Charlie Brown, Linus and Lucy. Like I have gotten more <laughs> accolades for playing that than I ever have for doing some of the other greats. So sometimes it's the simple things that make all the difference. It's twinkle, twinkle, little star, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah that is <laughs> I wasn't great... trying to get emotional so soon, but you know. <laughs> Listen, I didn't expect to get so emotional so soon. Really. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's, but that's such a great life lesson, isn't it? The simple things mm -hmm. and how we, you know our our ambitions to be something and it doesn't take away that to be that but for us to remember what like truly really matters absolutely what truly really matters what would you say is your biggest accomplishment to date my biggest accomplishment to date has not happened yet but i can tell you some things that i've been in the running um my big, a, a few of the accomplishments are, are ones that um, I feel like had the biggest obstacles. And in the moment, I felt like I could never make it happen. Um, when I did the Josephine Baker Castle, it was random. I mean, I literally manifested it. I love Josephine Baker. I've always been a 1920s diva, everything. I met a performer who was French, and I'm going on and on about Josephine Baker because I do that to 
every French person I meet. And she said, oh, I think my cousin owns her castle. <laughs> like, easy. I'm like, impossible. Like, what? all the people on this earth. Um, when I was 16, I appeared on the Apollo um, in New York, <laughs> in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was 16, but I was in the older category. First of all, I come dolled up in this Liberace gown with a long train. And I remember I was back there in the green room for like 10 hours or something. And when I came out, I almost forgot to do the log. And you know, as a tradition, you have to rub the log. If not, you get booed. (laughs) And so Steve Harvey was the host at the time. And I was going to do a classical piece on the Apollo. And I remember when I told him the title and my name, he totally made jokes like whose mother named her all of those names. And can you tell me again what you're going to play? Like he totally made light and joke and the audience laughed. They didn't have a piano. I had to play a keyboard. And I just remember sitting on that keyboard and I tore it up. I mean, I played like my life depended on it. Um, I didn't win. But I didn't also get booed. So they say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Right. But what made it a big accomplishment for me was the challenges that I faced to get there. Someone stole things out of my car while I was there. I was back in the green room for a really long time without my mother, without any direction. And I didn't want to get booed. The, the thought of getting booed in high school in front of my friends was just too much. Right. But you know, it helped me to see that you know, you can just keep going and moving forward. At the times where I felt like I was at my worst was a time where I really was able to step into my authentic self and be confident and come out there and stand in front of people. Because if you can make it in front of a whole bunch of people from Harlem, New York, listen, you can make it anywhere. Because I still get stage fright. I still get nervous. And I just go back to that, you know, of if I could do that at 16, I better be able to do it at I'm 36 now. So what is it about you? What lies behind that? So I'm going to answer that with another quick story. When I was doing the piano competition you talked about, I made it to the finals. And I remember right before they called me, I had my head in my hand and I told my mother, I said, mom, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. And I remember I thought she was going to do the motherly thing and hug me. My mother said, I know you're not going to sit here and act like you're nerd. She turned into, you know, black mama, you know. She said, all the people who have sacrificed for you to be here and you're going to sit there and act like you're scared. She said, you are an artist. This is what you do. And she dropped the mic and walked away. Mm-hmm. But answer your question, for me, it was the sacrifices that people made. My parents have spent millions on lessons and there's been a community of people who have prayed for me, stood by me, encouraged me. There are young people who look up to me. There are people who say, wow, a black person doing, you go girl, keep on playing that piano, you know, older people. And so when I can't do it for myself, what other people have put in me, I do it for them. Like I need to represent my small town of Warren, Ohio, on TV. I need to represent all the black classical players out there. So sometimes, and it goes back when it's not about me. Like when I'm on that stage, I'm there with my ancestors. They didn't get their due due justice. And so I do it for them. And so that is what 
makes me step out of myself. Right. And when people talk about that, like having the ancestors behind, what does that feel like? Is it in your body? Is it in your mind? I'm curious about that. Where does that get located? The experience of all those people who have, who on, <laughs> on whose shoulders you stand? Maya Angelou said, I, it feels crowded on the stage because they're sitting with them. For me, it feels crowded. Um, but I like it. It's the kind of tightness that makes you feel secure because not only, you know, my personal family members, I look to strong women. Like I love my, my auntie Josephine Baker. I call her auntie Josie just because she was elegant at a time where, you know, black people were often seen, looked at subservient. And so, you know, I make sure I keep my head up. So I, I embody it in my body. So I'm going to always have my back straight and my head up. And I, feel like it represents those ancestors whose backs were heavy. And I also conjure up a lot of the great, great Black pianists, um, like the prodigy Philippa Schuyler. She was a wonderful pianist who died on my birthday, May 9th. Wow. Um, but she was a great prodigy during the um, 50s and 40s. And then Margaret Bonds was another great Black pianist. So I conjured them up and they crowd me on the stage, but they also protect me. So I'm not there alone. But I also think of the future, the young people who, you know, hopefully I can be in an audience and a young person is like, wow, that's, I want to do that. I want to be like that. Right. So crowded is the answer. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but so comfortable. Crowded, crowded but comfortable. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm loving that, loving that. Crowded but comfortable. Mm -hmm. Remember that, everyone out there. When you're sitting in a meeting, right? When you're sitting in a meeting and you're feeling like you're the only one, because often, many times when you're stepping up and you're leading and you're playing big, you, you, you're not surrounded by people who look like you. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, crowded but comfortable. They make space for me, which is what I like. It's, mm. it's almost like, you know, if you were in your grandmother's bed and you're, you know, nestled between grandma and your cousin, you know, it's crowded, but you're comfy cozy. Right. You know? And so for me, they make way for me when I need to. But it's nice to have to know that they got my back. You know, right. they've right. been there. They know what it's like. I'm also um, struck by how many of those names aren't familiar to me, actually. You know, the history of of the many black women who 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 have gone before you and and I'm not I mean I'm not a music you know I'm not haven't been into classical music um mm -hmm. but I I I consider myself someone who's well read and um so I'm struck by that and is and and is that because they're really not known outside of the music space or um is that just me um, I think they're known, but it depends on which crowd of people you are with. Because I went to a, a historically Black college, the emphasis is, is put on learning Black composers. I think that there is a movement of, of getting the names out that are familiar, um, but, you know, we have more work to do to let, let it be known that they were out there. I mean, there are many Black male uh, piano players as well as female, but um, I think that we just have to do more about exposing who they are and what they did. And so part of what I do is I learn a lot of music and it is just as difficult and complex as some of the greats like Beethoven. Um, Florence Price is another great pianist who merged jazz into spirituals, into the classical form. And they directed orchestras and wrote amazing music and combined 
different styles. And so I am challenged and I challenge my other uh, musicians to help get more of this music out there. Right. Right. So I will send you some. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love that. I yes. would absolutely love that. So you've talked about your biggest accomplishments. What do you think has been some of your biggest challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? My biggest challenge at times has been myself. Instead of embracing fear and seeing it as something I could use, going against it and trying to fight it, I still get stage fright and get very, very nervous. And sometimes you talk yourself like, how am I going to do this? I can't do, I'm too scared. I get very, very nervous, but I'm learning that fear doesn't have to be something that is, um, you have to push against. I think I remember, um, a great playwright named Tom mentor said, you can be pushed to the limb, but it doesn't have to be the ledge, you know, like you can step out mm-hmm. there, but it doesn't have to be you, you know, feelings like you're suicidal and, you know, but just, Push it to the limit, but also know that you're protected and that you don't have to feel like you're not going to come out of it. And so for me, I have been my biggest obstacle in self-sabotaging by having negative or toxic thoughts that didn't help me move forward or um, distracting myself with things when I know I should have been focused on certain projects, but feeling insecure about it or because I think in any no matter how high you're at your game, you still have those moments of, am I enough? Am I doing the right thing? You know, and being able to self-check in and know when it's pushing you or if you are being toxic to yourself and to other opportunities. So it's a balance. And so for me, I've been my biggest obstacle. One of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one of them. Oh. I, mean, I think it's great to for us to always, and this is some of the work that I do when I'm coaching my clients is to distinguish the difference between the internal obstacles and the external ones. And we have control over our internal obstacles, you know, and it's our ability to train ourselves to deal with that because you're right. When we, when we don't deal with that, we will self-sabotage and we get in our own way. So sometimes it is, you know, my coach is like, you need to step out of your own way and allow yourself to fully embrace who you are and all that you have um yeah so i i love because it's also as i said it's a thing we can can control and it's what we so for our listeners to look at when are we are are we in the way you know when we're looking at oh i'm not i can't get there and i don't do this no but are we in our own way and how do we get out of our own way so we can fully embrace what's possible Because you also create, you know, external because I can give a lot of obstacles that has have been challenging, but a lot of it also has been made worse because of my internal challenges. You know, um, you know, I experienced a lot of racism, you know, and, you know, that's been a challenge. But I also know that balancing the two, you know, because sometimes I'm like, was this a racial issue or did I project that because I'm assuming because I'm a black pianist, they think, you know, and so that's what I mean, where is it really an internal or is it external or am I projecting that? And so that's something I I am working on. And I like, you have to be honest with yourself and truthful. Um, That's the biggest thing, you know, know when, you know, you need to kind of (laughs) 
reevaluate what you're doing and how you're doing it. So it's because sometimes when that's happened to me, when I've had moments when I think, is this a race thing? Um, I reach out to people that I love and care for me and I care for them and say, and like can talk through and said, help me who people who will challenge me, not just people who are going to just agree with me, but people who can challenge me to say, I want to walk you through what happened. Help me understand. Am I seeing something that's not there? Or what are you sensing in this? So I can get a, a like what I call a temperature reading on it because when exactly. we're in it, we can be so in it sometimes that we can't, we cannot see clearly. So having, having someone help me, I, I know my, my go-to flow, my cousin flow, my soul sister, she's the person I call when it's like, I need to talk to you about this. Can you help me? And she will tell me it's like, yeah, no, I don't think it was about that. I think that was all about you. Or she'll say, mm, I think there's something in that. What is that? Let's look at it. And then how are you going to deal with it? So let me give you an example of that. And, and that's so true. Um, I was at a university for um, a summer camp and they were asking each student where they wanted to go for college. And I mentioned Howard University. And the teacher said, what is that? Where is it? I've never heard of it. And why would you want to go there? Well, for me, you know, in Howard University graduates the most PhDs of Black people. And so how dare she not know, you know, was that trying to be and it ruminated in my mind to where I'm getting all worked up. And it was like, well, did she not really know? She may not have really known, you know, but for me, it was like, how dare she? Right. <laughs> Who doesn't know how, you know, but it's, but it's great what you said, having a community to give you perspective. And, you know, for music, it's like, why not Julia, Juilliard or Oberlin? And right. I could have really taken that opportunity and talked about the great pianist, who have come out of Howard University and help her learn more about the community instead of just getting angry and, you know. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, great <laughs> example. Know that's a great example. <laughs> what is it about how you work and that's allowing you to achieve? You know, like talk us through that. For me, though, the best lesson I've learned is perfecting your practice. Growing up, you know, you assume practicing five, six hours. Oh, I practice eight hours. That is not effective. It's how perfect your practice is. Are you really, are you practicing the parts you already know? Or are you actually going and starting with the parts that aren't comfortable to you? And especially young pianists, oh, they can play fairly. <laughs> then when it gets to the arpeggios, they, they slow all the way down. So learning how to really perfect practice and not only just musically, but in your life, you know, in your meditation, in your yoga, um, there's no point in practicing if you're not present. Part of wellness is really permeated in my practice. So how am I feeling? Like, am I having a really bad day? Do I need to take a minute to maybe play a hymn or play a song that's familiar before I just start? And checking in and seeing where I am, the temperature of my mood, you know, determines. You can't separate your wellness and your personal from your practice. And so that's kind of how I start. You know, I don't have to do four hours, but if I can do two hours where I'm really focused and present, it does a whole lot more Great. for me. And I make it fun. Like it doesn't have to just oh, be so yeah. much. Fun. 
have to make it fun. So I love to, I have some candelabra. I light the candles like Liberace or aromatherapy. I try to make it fun. Music is supposed to be fun. You know, practice can be fun. Everything doesn't have to be hard work. And, you know, we can work smart sometimes. And I feel when you're relaxed and you're slow, you're open to receiving, you're open to giving. And uh, when I'm looking forward to it, that's my best practice, you know. In those difficult moments, what do you do? Where do you where do you reach to? Sometimes it calls for just a breath. Breathing is what you do in your most difficult. It's the first thing you do when you come into this world and the last thing you do when you go out. So it's a lot to be said. When you're in pain, you breathe. And I remember a yoga class where the teacher said, breathe through the difficult places. And I remember that. It gives me a chance to kind of check back in and like, what is it that I need? Sometimes I need to go and, you know, grab something to eat and come back and refocus. But just have a space to stand still. Sometimes you just have to stand still and acknowledge, you know what, this is really (laughs) difficult. Beethoven tests my patience a lot. Beethoven will give you one measure that is impossible. You can play the piece and there's one measure that is impossible. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes I just need to be able to acknowledge that and scream a fuss about it and then have a, (laughs) have some cheese and my grapes and come back to it. You know, I, I, I love that. I'm loving most of what you're saying, actually. I'm saying I'm so having such a good time. If you had to identify or say what your guiding principles are for yourself and your life that help you navigate, what would they be? One of my favorites is by Rachmaninoff, and I shared a little bit, but he says, music is enough for a lifetime, but a lifetime is not enough for music. I don't care how great you are. You will never know everything you need to know. And so... You don't have to know everything. You keep practicing, you keep moving because there's always more to know. And so for me, when I get frustrated, I realize I music has been around since the beginning of time and people have loved it, struggled with it, used it, hated it, motive, used it as motivation. And so I just keep remembering that I just have to keep going and that there is no, for me, a height because I'm always going to learn. There's always more. I'm not going to know everything. I'm never going to be like, I know everything, you know? And so that's encouraging to me because those times I feel weak, it's like, listen, I have a lifetime to get this right. <laughs> it sounds like your faith is key to you. It's important to you. Is, is that, can you say more about that or? Yes. Um, faith is what sustains me sometimes when I just, I cannot. Um, I grew up in a very, a spiritual household, very Pentecostal, and I'm grateful for the experience. I am very blessed to have church community and people around me who sow seeds into me and encourage me. And um, I also have a great wellness community. I worked at a hospital, so I have wonderful healers and, and people who recognize that the body has to be in a place that's healthy and has vitality. And so um, I use all of that, the spirituality and the religious, and I use it for good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they help keep the faith because sometimes your faith can be can be tested, you know, and they remind me about why I have to keep going, even at times where I don't feel like I want to keep going or it may be challenging. So I'm thankful for having that community as well. Mm. Can you help us all understand a bit more about 
you know, that your experiences you were growing up and how, you know, how that was and and what success, you know, the notion of success in your family, like what was, what was that? What was that like? Because I'm clear that my parents were like, oh, yeah, we we're doing this because all of you are going to do better than what we did. You know, that was the game. You know, it wasn't to just match where they were. It was like we make these sacrifices so you can be better. So I'm curious about what 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 were the conversations in your house? Well, growing up, I'm from a a really small town in um, Ohio. And my mother, you know, in the 50s and 60s, she sang with a really huge gospel group called The Caravans with Albertina Walker and Shirley Caesar and some others. And my mother had already had three kids before me, but being on the road and being around artists like Aretha Franklin and, and some of the other greats, she picked up a lot of business acumen and a lot of techniques on how to rear, how to rear children in the business and what's expected outside of just being in a small town and working and find a job, you know, as a lawyer or a doctor, she really learned that people really help to craft their children's journey from an early start. And that was the biggest thing to her starting early. So a, a, a child who takes Suzuki at three is going to already be three years ahead of a child who starts at six. And they've started a routine and a practice. So a three-year-old, all they know is that routine. When you start kids at eight or 12, unless they're self-motivated, they have lots of distractions and they're not in the routine of, okay, after school, I practice. That's all I know. And that's all I remember. So my mom was just really keen on implementing that. My father is the cool dad who is not going to say a whole lot. <laughs> and so my dad, you know, he was, you know, like, well, let her, I don't, why does she have to go to lessons? You know, and that's why I want to encourage parents. Your kids are not going to always want to do it. You know, I was talented, but I didn't always want to do it. You know, summertime comes, listen, that was a big challenge for me. You know, I didn't want to go to summer camps, but my mother saw what was long-term, how that would help me. You know, I couldn't see it. And my father is like, well, if she don't want to go, she shouldn't have to be made to go, you know? So, but my mother really had the vision. My father helped to support it, even he might not have understood it, but my father bankrolled all the lessons and <laughs> the summer camps. And so he didn't understand it, but he was invested because he saw that my mother's was really passionate about her vision and they saw I had a talent. My mother always knew from the very beginning when she had me that I was going to be a star. <laughs> uh, we're still working on it. But, you know, it all comes down to how we perceive success, you know, and sometimes it changes, you know, but it really my mother was the most instrumental and, and my family was supportive. But I think it was a challenge. Why is this black girl playing classical? What is she going to do with that? Where is she going to go? You know, and it was a challenge, you know, because we don't understand it. But now, you know, that was back in the 80s. Now there's been so much exposure that I think people are are more open to it and they see that you can mix different genres and that you can play classical and jazz and so I think they're more open to it but the biggest thing that I learned is that you have to start kids young you have to really get them um, unless they really have a a prodigy type of thing you really need to start them early and I can hear the drive of your mom in having you be 
where you are like yeah so that's that's so cool what's next what where do you want to go next and what's influencing your next move Young people are influencing my next move. I'm really trying to work on building my own foundation to where I expose more young people to the arts. Um, I would love to be able to um, take young people to the Kennedy Center and to the Washington Ballet and to Josephine Baker's castle in France and just finding ways of doing that and, and seeing what is the need. I also mentor a lot of young people. I work with a group called Young Scholar Musicians. It's a lot of young pianists. And so I, I look forward to doing a lot more charity work like that. I do a lot, but I'm looking forward to creating my own. Um, and I'm also looking forward to doing a lot more international performing. Um, I do a lot of work in France, but I'm looking forward to traveling to Italy and, and doing some one-woman shows. I always think that I was supposed to be a showgirl in Vegas. So Liberace has always been <laughs> one of my misses. So I, I want to create shows that are very decadent and over the top, but great music and great energy. So we have to watch and see what happens, but you will be the first to know. <laughs> the vision and the, the game is big and completely doable. Right. That's the mm -hmm. thing. Like play big. Like when I say game. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So just like yes. we, we can ha create our own game in our life that we want to play. And and that's a big game to play. And it's an inspiring game to play. Is there anything you had to not do in order to be successful? What did you not do? I wasn't able to go outside after school <laughs> and I had to get up at five in the morning. So the dedication, I wasn't able to do a lot of extracurricular free time things in school and, and it made me angry and I was very upset. I got up every morning at five to practice before I went to school and I practiced after I went to school and my lessons were two hours. And so, you know, I sacrificed a lot of extracurricular, but I was very social, so I was able to do things. But one summer I went to Northwestern for the whole summer, and then I went to Interlochen. So, you know, at the time I didn't want to do it, and I was very, very upset. But, you know, you do kind of sacrifice some of your time and some of your extracurricular. But I found that it kept me busy and it kept me out of trouble. So being kept out of trouble is what kept me... <laughs> successful so that's you know I think at the time young people don't see it you don't see it. the community and older people and people who know they know why it's important but I didn't see it right. and even in college I couldn't be everything and I couldn't be everywhere you know um, but I have a very thriving social circle I have so many hobbies outside of music that I really love like I don't feel just committed to doing music I was a photographer for a while. I used to dance a lot, although not professionally. It balanced itself out. And I think sometimes you have to sacrifice this, but then later on you can, you know, come back to it. And so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, being kept out of a lot of things kept me from <laughs> getting into some things I should not have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when, if you had to say three things, that without which you would not be here today, what would they be? Oof. My parents, because they helped mold. I mean, not only did they create me, 
they molded me and they allowed me the freedom to be who I was. Even though I was a pianist and I did classical, they allowed me to play gospel or jazz or uh, indulge whatever thing I was doing. And I really appreciate that. Um, the second thing is fun. I am a fun person and I enjoy having fun. I love to laugh and I love the art of conversation and I love people. And that is what motivates me. And music and art, that is what inspires me. You know, when I worked at the hospital, um, you know, we will always say the doctors save lives, but the arts give people something to live for. You know, music and art has a way of helping you when you feel down, when you feel happy, when you, you know, every different shade of your, your personality, music can help come in. And I wouldn't be anywhere without music or art or having that stimulation of something that is inspirational and colorful or makes you think. And so um, those are the things that make me. That's what I think that's what I'm made of. Mm. <laughs> so if you were going to speak to a younger Dana who is 15 and doesn't want to practice today, Ooh. <laughs> what would you say to her when you're not practicing someone else is mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a tweetable yeah. as they call <laughs> yeah that's that's very concise when you're not practicing someone else is right, right. i love that mm-hmm. i love that totally mm-hmm. totally I think we're at the end and we're going to end on that. (laughs) Yes. You know, it is such a lesson for, you know, what, what drives us can be that, you know, thank Mm -hmm. you so much. It was such a wonderful interview with you and getting to um, understand more about you and what you do and how you do it and that you, the, you know and what drives you and has driven you for many many years um and I'm just and who knew I was going to get totally moved in it and so early on in the interview as well um it's been a real privilege thank you so much thank you for this journey you know you never know where it will take you but you know it's just as important to have this as it is to reach the destination so thank you for helping drive me here i'm so excited for what you are doing and i know the best is yet to come for you so i'll stay tuned thank you thank you (laughs) so dana and i would love to hear from you and if of all that you heard today that dana shared what is the most significant thing that you're taking away what light bulb moment did you have what insight did you have for your own life what struck you what moved you and if you go over to my page on shirleymccalpine.com you can leave a comment now about um the podcast and dana actually where can they find you the key of dana.com or they can find me on facebook under my name great dana tina joy morgan cool so be in contact with Dana if you want to. I'm certainly going to be looking up all those people she mentioned too. She's going to be sending me some music. Go over to my page and and also if you're interested, you can download a top tips from me on how to be a woman with drive that's come out of my experience of coaching many, many women over the years. So if you're also interested in finding a top tips on how to be a woman with drive in addition to Dana's wisdom, then head over to shirleymccalpine.com 
Thanks. Go well, stay well. Until next week. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Fortalina, music by the awesome female band Blonde. If you want to connect with me, go online, follow me on Instagram at Shirley McAlpine Consulting, or I'm on Twitter at Shirley McAlpine. You can always head over to our Facebook page, She's Got Drive. I'd love to hear from you there. If you're loving the show, why don't you subscribe on iTunes so you can get automatic downloads each week when a new episode is published. I'd love to you to give a review if you're feeling it too. And head over to my page on shirleymcalpine.com. If you head over to the website, then you can get a download of how to be a woman with drive. These are my top tips, having spent years coaching women on how to up their game, how to be more impactful, increase their presence. And so I've just put together some tips for you to take on your life. So head over to shirleymcalpine.com and you can get a free download when you sign up. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well.